At the beginning of the greatest book of the 20th century, The Lord of the Rings, at Bilbo Baggins' 111th birthday party, Bilbo confused his guests by saying, I don't like half of you half as much as you deserve. They didn't know whether to take that as a compliment or an insult. I will do the same with my greeting to you. I want to say hello, and more than just hello, to all the people I'm supposed to say more than just hello to, but didn't. So hello, graduates, faculty, administrators, priests, friends, families, and guardian angels. Perhaps the person you thought you invited to give this commencement address is not really here. Perhaps I am Peter Kraft's evil twin. You probably thought Dr. Kraft would give you a lot of nice, safe, happy, bright, shining, idealistic ideas, perhaps taken from the ridiculously large number of books he has written. <laughs> you probably expected to hear something edifying, comforting, and uplifting, some philosophical and theological principles, some profound platitudes, you know, the kind of things you're supposed to hear in commencement addresses. Instead, I shall be a contrarian and a curmudgeon. <laughs> I shall stick a satirical pin into those commencement cliché balloons that are full of hot air and fly away over your head just to hear them pop. <laughs> for instance, you don't deserve congratulations for graduating from college. Nowadays, <laughs> almost everybody graduates from college. and you are not our hope for the future. <laughs> You're not God. Stop the presses. You're not even wizards. You're only little human hobbits. And you won't save the world. You're not Jesus Christ. You're not even Barack Obama. And you won't find the world full of unlimited opportunities for your ambitions and talents. You'll find the world a place full of tedious forms to fill out, long waiting lines, mosquitoes, and lawyers. <laughs> you also won't find the world a challengingly miserable place for you to make more comfortable. It's already far too comfortable, at least compared with any other planet in the solar system. And you can't accomplish everything you put your mind to. You can't fulfill all your dreams, unless you're so dull that you don't have many dreams. <laughs> you are not Superman. You are not faster than a speeding bullet or more powerful than a locomotive. And please do not try to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Remember what your mother told you when you were four years old and tried to fly by jumping off the garage roof. You are ordinary little hobbits like me, thank God. Be happy with that. God must have loved little hobbits. He made so many of them. In fact, he became one of them. So what wisdom can I give you then if all these traditional commencement platitudes are nice lies? Well, let's see. There are four things commencement addresses are supposed to be, and these are the four main reasons why nobody really likes them. 
Of course, you'll have to pretend to like them. Their whole purpose is not to give you wisdom, but to test your patience and politeness. In other words, to turn you into Canadians. First of all, they're supposed to be serious, not funny. Second, they're supposed to be idealistic and inspiring and certainly not sarcastic or cynical. Third, they are supposed to be unified, logical, and connected, and certainly not 20 little randomly arranged points. Finally, they are supposed to be long enough to put you to sleep. They are not supposed to be mercifully short. So I will now take revenge on all the many serious, idealistic, logical, and long commencement addresses that we both have ever heard or read except for Alexander Solyanitsyn's and Mother Teresa's Harvard commencement addresses, which are masterpieces, by giving you a commencement address that is exactly what it should not be, one that is not serious, not idealistic and positive and uplifting, not logically organized, and best of all, not long. The reason it's not serious is because life is far too serious to be taken seriously. God's own word says that he who sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and if we want to sit in the heavens with him, we must laugh with him. So I will give you 20 little pieces of practical advice for the rest of your lives. Little things that are short enough to remember and easy enough to actually do, rather than beautiful principles that are like bright fuzzy clouds that you can't live on and walk on, but only cuddle like teddy bears of the mind. I am allowed to do this simply because I am now old enough to qualify as a curmudgeon. <laughs> and eccentric behavior is tolerated in a curmudgeon. <laughs> I begin with two of the most practical principles in human life. One principle is for guys and the other for girls. This summer, if you go camping, guys, even if you're all alone, never pee into the wind. And girls, even if you're a radical feminist and believe there's no way a man is superior to a woman, consider revising your ideology when there's no water available and you have to put out the campfire by peeing on it. Get a guy to do it. It's the one thing we're really superior at. We have distance. Second, when you're hooked up to your Super Game Boy, Wi-Fi, Nintendo 64, PlayStation uh, 4, Xbox, and GameCube, and you're thinking of adding to your account something like a 5,000-year contract for centrifugal bumble puppy on your laptop, desktop, cell phone, iPhone, internet, email, fax, notebook, tablet, Facebook, and Twitter, stop for just a second and remember the wisdom of the fish that it's a lot easier to get into a net than to get out of one. Third, if any of you ever take a philosophy course in graduate school, 
or read a philosophy book or article by some typical contemporary philosopher, and you discover that half the philosophy professors in America, unlike all the professors here at Christendom, are quite insane, and actually worry about questions like how you can prove that the external world really exists, that you're not really a brain in a vat, only dreaming that you're in a real world. If you are tempted to think like that, you can still recover your sanity by getting married and having kids. <laughs> I guarantee you that you will not wonder whether the external world really exists when you have to deal with your baby's diaper poo. Fourth, if you're ever confused by the difference between love and lust, as most Americans are, remember something very simple. You can tell the difference in the spelling. Lust sees the body as meat, M-E-A-T, while love sees the body as a meat, M-E-E-T. You can only meet, M-E-E-T, another person, but the meat that you eat is only part of yourself when you eat it. When you meet someone, you go out of yourself to the other person. But when you eat meat, you reduce the meat to a part of yourself. So just remember that it's not polite to eat somebody you've just been introduced to. <laughs> That's why we don't have conversations with lobsters before we eat them. Fifth, here's a serious point and a very practical one. Almost one-sixtieth of the minutes of your lifetime will be spent waiting on lines. In other words, if you live 60 years, you will probably spend about one year waiting on lines. Don't waste all that time. What can you do online? Not much, but one thing you can do is pray. Make a habit of praying for all the impatient, sad, and bored people you see online, starting with yourself. No prayer is ever wasted. If we saw all the differences that were made by even the smallest of our prayers down through the centuries, we would probably die because we wouldn't eat or sleep. We just pray all the time. This is why God in his mercy keeps us stupid. <laughs> Sixth, and when you pray, remember how Jesus taught us to do it. We're supposed to pray, thy will be done on our earth as it is done in your heaven. God keeps reminding us of that because we keep praying instead, my will be done on earth as it is done in my mind. So pray to change yourself, not to change God. Seventh, if you want to remember a good sermon, remember the shortest one ever preached, the one God spoke to St. Catherine in a mystical vision to summarize the whole Bible in four words. He said, I'm just trying to get across two things. One, I'm God. Two, you're not. <laughs> but we keep forgetting that second point. In other words, we're all idiots. At least we have a very severe case of ADD. Philosophers have ADHD, attention deficit high definition. <laughs> but God loves all his severely brain damaged children. God is nuts, thank God. Eighth, when somebody really ticks you off and badmouths you unfairly and you long to get even with them and totally crush them with a devastatingly unanswerable response, remember that the only argument nobody has ever refuted is silence. 
And ninth, when some jerk bumps you in line and then looks at you as if you bumped him, just smile sweetly at him. That will really confuse him. <laughs> and you'll get a real kick out of seeing the confusion on his face. <laughs> Tenth, don't swim with all the other fish down the stream of the world. Even dead fish can do that. Only a live fish can swim upstream. Eleven. Laugh at least once every day. It's rehearsal for heaven. The Bible says that in heaven all tears are wiped away. The Bible never says that laughter is wiped away. If God laughs, we will too. And if you ever doubt that God laughs, just look an ostrich straight in the face for 15 seconds. <laughs> Twelfth. If somebody puts you on a desert island and lets you take only three books, be sure that one of them is How to Build a Boat. <laughs> Thirteen, play some competitive sport all your life. It's not like war, even though it's competition. In war, both sides always lose, because the losers die and the winners kill. But in sports, both sides win, because when you win, you feel happy, and when you lose, you learn wisdom and humility, which is even better. Fourth, when you go to Camden Yards for an Orioles-Yankees game, don't yell, Yankee fans are idiots. That is an unforgivable insult to idiots. Fifteenth, when you wonder what is the meaning of life, don't read the philosophers, but watch some old Italian men playing bocce ball and laughing very loud. <laughs> Remember that God is smiling at them, at these silly and lovable creatures, in exactly the same way their wives are. <laughs> you certainly won't find the answer to the question of the meaning of life from some smarty-pants Harvard philosopher who's figured out that the question is logically meaningless. Sixteenth, get both a dog and a cat. It's good for very different species to learn to live together. It's very broadening. That's why God invented marriage. Seventeenth, <laughs> when you have nothing to do, just notice things, like how you can feel each of your toes one by one if you really try. Toes aren't very important, but noticing is. So get into the noticing habit. When you notice toes more, you'll also notice people more. Eighteenth, take at least a minute every day to sing or play some favorite piece of music. Music is to your soul what water is to a flower. Also take at least a minute every day to do absolutely nothing and say absolutely nothing. Just be there in the silence. Without silence, we go insane. Without silence, speech turns into chatter. Your soul needs both music and silence because these are the two languages of heaven. They are also God's two favorite languages to speak to us in. Nineteenth. St. Thomas Aquinas says there are only three things that are good. The virtuous good, the useful good, and the delightful good. 
So if it doesn't make you more like a saint, and if you don't need it to survive, and if it doesn't make you happy, forget about it. Be like Thoreau. Simplify. Simplify. Twentieth, and last of all, and this is not silly or sarcastic or even curmudgeonly, but it is short. Remember that the very best thing you can possibly ever do in this world, whatever else you're doing, is just to keep saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. With all your heart and soul and mind and strength and never stop until you die. Because that's what you'll be doing in heaven forever. So you'd better get some practice in now. It's not just practice, it's the real thing. How do you practice a play by the play itself? How do you practice for the baseball season in spring training by playing baseball? How do you rehearse for that greater play, that greater game that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, the reign of Christ by letting Christ reign now on earth? Your college is nobly named after that reign. Christendom means really Christ's kingdom. You are part of that atomic fission that explodes and spreads the radiation of that kingdom. Once that kingdom was tiny, like the universe a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. It was once a one-celled zygote in Our Lady's womb. Nine months later, it was still as small as a creche. It has been expanding for 2,000 years, transforming this world into Christendom. Despite little local retreats like the 500-year-long loss of Western civilization, it is unstoppable, even by the gates of hell. And that is why you are here. And that is what you are part of. That is the big picture that this college has taught you to put around everything you do, from going to mass to going to market. Never forget that big picture. And never forget your own absolute and essential job in this world to turn this world into Christendom, not to turn Christendom into this world. To turn the world's water into Christ's wine, not to turn his wine into the world's water, diluting the gospel of the one who turned water into wine at Cana and then turns wine into his blood in every mass and then will turn our blood into something incomprehensibly glorious in the resurrection of the body. For one of his names is Aslan and Aslan is not a tame lion. And because we believe that, we will never, 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 never give up.